Colossians, um, as we're going to look at a little portion of this. And I would want to encourage all of you this afternoon to go home and to read the first chapter of the book of Colossians. It is so rich in its description of Christ. So I'm going to ask you and encourage you to do that. You want to be reading verses 1 through 8. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you in peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's Word and pray for me. And just remind you that there is a responsibility. Paul talks about going to the Corinth with fear and trembling. Uh, as it is an awesome uh, and great responsibility to preach the gospel, but it's also a responsibility for those who hear the gospel uh, to respond to it properly. So let's pray for each other. You pray for me, and I will pray for the congregation. Let's pray. Our God and Father, how you enrich our lives. What a pleasant thing it is. As our lives have fallen in pleasant places in Christ, we ask you, our God, to be with us as we consider your word this morning as I preach it. Lord God, give me the help that I need as I can do nothing on my own, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We pray for the congregation. We would ask our God, if any are here outside of faith, that you would bless with conversion. Any, O Lord, tied up in lawlessness, that you would bless and grant repentance. Lord, encourage your people, we ask this day, with the word read and preached. In Jesus' name, amen. If you had to pick out uh, any particular day in your life that kind of stands out as the best day you ever had, what would it be? What would that be? Perhaps your mind drifts back to a child, your childhood, and you had a special Christmas, and that's always in your heart. It's always just a warm feeling that you reflect on often. Perhaps it is the day you got married that you think about that as just standing out and being a great day in your life. Perhaps it is the birth of a child that excites you so and that you so love to reflect upon it. Well, I've got a question for you. Have you ever really gotten excited and loved the gospel? Is that something that in your life is so precious to you that you rejoice in that every day that you live? The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the the Colossians. Uh, He is in prison in Rome. Paul never went to Colossae. 
Uh, he's never met these believers. They were instructed by a man named Epaphras. We'll talk about that later on in the sermon. But someone goes to visit with Paul while he is in prison with concerns at Colossae. There are theological concerns, doctrinal issues that have come into the church because of false teachers that have come in. So the Apostle Paul opens up this letter by instructing these Christians, reminding them of who they are and of the great value they have of the gospel and the work that God is doing in their lives. What happens to see this morning that since the gospel of Jesus Christ brings changes into the lives of those who believe it, those who receive the gospel in faith will demonstrate evidence of that faith. Those who receive the gospel in faith will demonstrate the reality of that faith and obedience. And three things this morning very quickly. The reception of the gospel uh, presents an occasion for gratitude. The reception of the gospel um, brings uh, as expression of God's grace. And the reception of the gospel will be followed by observable changes. And so you ask yourself this at this moment. How has the gospel changed your life? How has the gospel made great differences in your life and still does so? As the changes the gospel brings are permanent. They don't go away. As we are united to Christ, we are always united to Christ. Well, the first thing is the reception of the gospel presents an occasion for gratitude. Paul expresses in the opening of this letter uh, gratitude for the Colossians. He is grateful to them, and he expresses grace to them, peace to them. Grace to you. May God's favor rest upon you. Peace to you. May you know that peace of God that passes all understanding in your life from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice how Paul puts it here that God is their Father. This is that great doctrine known as election that Paul refers to here in the text. The great doctrine of God's grace expressed to us, our Father in heaven. And we come to that by the great grace of God. And Paul writes this, we thank God always for you. God the Father, the God of our Lord, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when Thanksgiving is a theme throughout the book of Colossians. It's a constant theme throughout the book of Colossians. One twelve, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Two seven, rooted and built up within him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Three seventeen, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks. To the God and Father through him. 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in, with, with, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So it is something that runs throughout the book of the, uh, this book of Colossians. It is something that is prevalent uh, in the life of the Apostle Paul as he reflects upon the great gift that God has given him in the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel at work in the world. And by this expression here, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul refers to or makes, uh, brings attention to the division of labor concerning redemption. There are three persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not three gods, one God and three persons. So it is God the Father who chose you for salvation, that doctrine of election again. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in him. The doctrine of election is not a Presbyterian doctrine. It's a biblical doctrine. It's taught throughout the scriptures. And it presents to us how gracious God is to his people. That he chose us not because of anything in us. He chose us because he loved us. God the Son prayed the, paid the price for your sins. He went to the cross of Calvary. Corinthians 5.21 For our sakes he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 3.18, this divides up to an easy three-part sermon. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that he may bring us to God. So Christ redeemed us by his life, by his death, by his resurrection. And God the Holy Spirit applies that work to us. And so Paul rightly says, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the triune God's working in our life to save us from our sins. All three persons of the Godhead working in concert for us. And the necessity of the Holy Spirit for that rebirth, Christ talks to Nicodemus about that. You man must be born again. And that is, the, that is by the work of the Holy Spirit. But what is a Christian? Uh, he writes... Uh, Jay Packer in his book, Knowing God, writes that, writes this. He said, the richest answer to that question, a Christian is one who has God as his father. Let that sink into you. A Christian is one who has God as his father. All of you here, I assume, had daddies. What I mean by that is you remember them. I know everybody had a daddy, but some people don't remember their fathers because something happened to them somewhere along the way. And you know that uh, your father loved you, if he's alive, loves you. Uh, and you know the richness that can be in that relationship of a father with his children. Well, God is our father. And that should sink into our hearts and minds, the closest of the relationship. He considers us his children. And so we are his children by his working, by his grace. Paul never visited the Colossians, but he loves them. He said he had heard of their love for the saints. Paul has a burden for these Christians, just like last night when Cherry Hoke put on, I think it was Facebook or some way of communication, that, and I prayed about this, that a family in the Congo heard gunfire outside their home. Can you imagine that? We have not had to deal with anything like that in our lives. Um, so the Apostle Paul loves them. He cares for them. Uh, a mutual love in the body of Christ should be the norm in all ages. Mutual love in the body of Christ should be the norm in all ages. Indeed, if the church would honor Christ and be pleasing to Christ and be the kind of church Christ calls us to be, it will be a church where there is love one for another. And that affection for Christ should be in the church throughout the world. That's why when we hear about what's happening in the church way away from us, we've never met the people, don't know anything about them. We do know this, we are united to them in Christ. We share that bond that is ours through Jesus. 
And we should have a burden for them, the people that are suffering because of the gospel. And we bring them before the Lord in sincerity when we bring them before the Lord in love and affection for them. Well, this is a work that has been done by the Lord. Epaphras is the preacher who went there and started it. We don't know anything about him except this. He's mentioned in this book, and he started this church, and he's mentioned also in Philemon, where he talks about the fact that he is in prison with Paul. Maybe visiting Paul, I am not sure. Well, he went back, and it's likely he heard Paul preach. Acts 19, 8 and 10, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, that is the faith, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. We don't know who he was. Another translation talks about the school of Tyrannus. But apparently he gave Paul a place to preach. And apparently he had an affection for the, the gospel of Christ. He continues for two years so that all in the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So it's very likely that Epaphras was converted under the proclamation of the gospel by the apostle Paul. He goes back to where he's a Colossian. He goes back to his home. And eventually there the Lord uses him to start a church, start a work which that is the concern of this letter, the work that was started there by this man, Epaphras. But God is at work, you see. As his churches are forming, as his churches are growing, God is at work. And he says here, since the gospel came to you, and it is that the gospel comes to us by God's grace. If you are raised in a church, that's by God's grace. It's his kindness to you. If you heard the gospel preached, it's by God's grace and kindness to you. If you responded to the gospel in faith and repentance, that's by God's grace and his kindness to you as well. Our God is a God who loves us, and our God is a God who has redeemed us out of that love that he has for us. The gospel came to them, and it is, as the gospel comes to us, not only is it uh, something that uh, changes us, it is a means of gratitude to God because it comes to us by the means of grace. Since the gospel came to you, he says, Second Thessalonians 2.13, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. What happens when the gospel comes into your life? What happens to those who are touched by the gospel you ask this question, has the gospel made a real difference in your life? Not have you become sinless. Has the gospel made a difference in the way that you look at the world? Has the gospel made a difference in the way that you look at other people? Has the gospel made a difference in the way that you treat other people? Has the gospel made a way in the difference that you view the world so far as loving it or leaving it? The gospel has enriched our lives by bringing us into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reception of the gospel uh, will follow, be followed by observable changes, finally. The gospel, we believe, necessarily brings positive changes in the people's lives who embrace it. Prior to your conversion, unless you were converted in the womb like the, John the Baptist, prior to your conversion, 
you are at enmity with God. God was not your friend, nor did you want him to be your friend, as it is according to the nature with which we are born. Ephesians 2:12. remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That describes you. That describes me. We were separated from God, having no hope and without God in the world. Romans 3 says this, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands nor seeks after God. That's how we are by nature. Romans 3, 17 and 18, The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's like in the book of Isaiah where he says this, Stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. The gospel necessitates change. If it is embraced, if it is believed as we are called to believe it and reacts in us as it is supposed to, if we really believe it, then it brings change. However, once converted, once you embrace the gospel and come to fellowship with God through Christ, uh, that enmity with God is gone and you are judicially right before the Lord. Romans 8, 1 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. In chapter 7, Paul talks about the struggle that he has in the flesh, the things that I would do, I don't do, the things I don't want to do. I find myself doing those things. Now, I don't think Paul was a notorious sinner. He just had a great sensitivity for righteousness and holiness and grieved about his failings as a Christian. And as one who was a minister of the gospel of Christ. So Paul goes through that description in chapter 7. And I do not believe, as some believe, that that's the historical presence in the Greek. That Paul is talking about his life prior conversion. People believe that. I don't believe that. You, you want to know what Paul's life was like prior conversion? Look at Philippians. Read the book of Philippians. As Paul describes himself, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he says, Perfect. Well, he's not struggling before his conversion with sin, not at all. What he did was look at the law and look at what it said, and he thought this to himself, I've not done these things, therefore I am not guilty. Therefore I am perfectly righteous. Until Christ comes along and preaches, and you find out the law is a matter not simply of outward doing, but of the heart. I've told you that before. So Paul then, as he presents himself in Romans 7 and the struggles that he has, and then a great consolation, he will rescue me from this life of condemnation. Praise be to God through Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That describes you if you're a Christian. If you're a believer, that a description of you. We are at peace with God, not perfected. There's no such thing as the perfect Christian. We do not believe in what some people call perfectionism. We don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach it. If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves. Experience does not teach it either. As you know, you still sin against the Lord. Now, all Christians sin. Sometimes that sin is grievous, as it was in the life of King David. But that sin, though it does not please the Lord, by no means does it please the Lord, we are not condemned by it. You understand what I'm saying? We don't lose our salvation. 
because we sinned against God. We still are one of his children. Though he is not pleased with our activities that are out of accord with his will for us according to his word, nonetheless, the Lord does not hold that sin against us so as to condemn us. There is therefore now no condemnation, not today, not tomorrow, not ever, for those who are in Christ Jesus. It shows the power of the cross of Christ to put sin away. So, uh, we uh, are never sinless, but we indeed should have the norm in our lives, obedience to Christ. That should be our passion. That should be your goal. The words of Christ in John 14, 15 should echo in your mind. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You notice he doesn't say there, if you love me, you will try to keep my commandments. He says, if you love me, you will indeed keep my commandments. It's a choice, you see. Whether or not we are going to live our lives in such a way, consciously, to please Christ, or live our lives in such a way as consciously to displease Christ. And I recognize as well that there are times we sin without even knowing about it. In a flash, in a moment, we do. But we also at times sin with a high hand against God. As we know what we're doing, and we do it anyway. This is not pleasing to our Lord. The norm should be, again, for the Christian obedience to Christ. We should want to please God out of gratitude and love for him. And has one rescued from the inferno of misery today and unimaginable sufferings forever? We should be happy to do what God calls us to do and live our lives in such a way as to please him. Well, the Colossians were bearing fruit. Again, the sincerity of reception of the gospel would be followed by observable changes, observable actions. And things being done out of a desire to bring glory to God. One time I was up on Lookout Mountain with Charlie Chase. We were there for RYM. I may have told you all this before. And Charlie and I went down the mountain, and we were coming back up, and we met a guy down there whose car was broken. And um, we took him to his house up on, he lived about halfway up Lookout Mountain, and Charlie Chase said this to him. I want you to know we did this for you, not because we're good people. We did this to you because we want to please Christ. That was great. Talk about bringing honor to the name of Jesus. We did this for you because we have a Savior. It pleases him to be kind. When we're kind, it pleases him when we do good things for other people. Well, the Colossians were bearing fruit. Well, how were they bearing fruit? Well, he says in the text here, I hear of your love for the brethren. Uh, They were loving other Christians. They were loving those in the church. They were not being self-centered. They were being kind and helpful and generous and gracious toward one another, forgiving one another. Again, as it right, we read in the scriptures, considering others as more important than themselves. And the fruit they are bearing comes forth from the influence of the gospel in their lives and the working of the Holy Spirit. The gospel, like I said, changes you. It brings change. Where we go from one who is 
not concerned with pleasing God, not concerned with doing good things because God wants us to, to one who desires to please God, one who desires to please Christ. And that gospel, you see, was making a difference in the lives of these Colossians. They were loving the people of God. They had affection for those who were in the church. And as it is, as that gospel is going throughout the world, people were being converted. And the demonstration of a true conversion is fruit. Remember the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, self-control. Did you get all that? Love, joy, peace, goodness. Now I've forgotten them. Love, joy, peace. I went to them too fast. Love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You have to look it up. They would have just completely left my mind. But anyway, those are the things we should be expressing in our life. Love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Here they are. That's the, that's the difference the gospel makes. And against such things, Paul says, there's no law against these things. So if there's no law against them, it should be a common part of our life. That should be what we are seeking to do. We should be seeking to display the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that is at work in our lives. Love, we should be loving. Joy, we should be joyful. Kind, we should be kind to others. That's the fruit, you see. And these Colossians were showing the reality of their conversion by the way they were living. And it, Paul's pleased with that. I hear of your love for the brethren. I hear you're walking faithfully with God. I hear you are behaving as Christians. Because the reality is you have come to be from one who does not know him to one who does know him and love him. And he delights in our obedience. You think about that. Wouldn't you rather please God than displease God? You can do both. You can please him. By being what he calls you to be, you can displease him by being what he calls you not to be. It is a choice that we make. And we were saved for the purpose of obedience and bringing glory to God. That's one reason God saved us, so that we can be obedient to him. And we can honor him. And we can bring glory to his name. Proverbs 1, 7 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom. Fools despise the gospel. Fools despise the commandments of God. Fools despise the Bible. But the fear of the Lord, recognizing the majesty and awesomeness of God, Recognize you do not want to do something to bring his hand against you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, is the beginning of wisdom. And as we live our lives, you can ask yourself this. Wouldn't we rather do something to please him than do something to displease and possibly bring a stern discipline upon yourself? We are not cast out because of our sins. We are not condemned because of our sins. We certainly are dealt with by disciplinary actions because of our sins. Either by the state or by God who's sovereign over the state. So again, we want to live our lives. Paul in Romans 7, 4, Likewise, my brother, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. 
Do you have a goal in your life to bear fruit for the Lord daily? It should be your goal. How do we do that? Well, again, by being obedient to the Word. That's how we bear fruit to God. By being one who is concerned with the kingdom of Christ to see it grow. To be concerned with being a faithful servant of the Lord and being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what helps us to keep on keeping on for Jesus? Now, it has come to my attention, and we all know this, and it's concerning to me, that you can have someone who was raised in the church, someone who has been faithful in the church, someone who has been there all of their life, and then in an older age suddenly leave. That's why we were told again and again, take heed to yourself. If you make too much room for the world in your life, that's going to suck away from you, your love for Christ. If you make too much allowances for sin in your life, that's going to drive out an affection for the gospel. How do we keep on keeping on in, even in difficult days? Well, notice this. Paul is assured that these people are going to keep on keeping on. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the world of the truth, the gospel. So they keep the, the reality of glory before them. And so should we. We need to remember that this is not all there is to life. There's a life after this life, which is a better life than this one could ever be. One commentator said this, Paul fully believes that where there is such faith and love, there was a well-founded hope of heaven. The word hope here is used, as it often is, for the thing hoped for, the object of hope which is heaven itself, which means eternal happiness. There's nothing wrong with desiring to be happy. And that's a part of being in glory, is being happy, being content. As it says in the Scriptures, he will wipe away every tear. That's a great comfort and a great encouragement to continue in our walk with Christ. Since we are heirs, then, as adopted children, there is an inheritance waiting us. Romans, uh, Hebrews 9:15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. First Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. Do you ever reflect upon that? If you lost parents that had some substance, if they didn't, you still received something from them, maybe a house that was an inheritance that you received, uh, maybe a car, maybe a great portfolio. I don't know, but it was an inheritance that you received. That's what this is talking about. In Christ, we have an inheritance that is ours, especially designed for you. It's like designer clothes, especially designed for you that God has put together for you. That's the inheritance that you have waiting for you in glory. That in Christ we have a future inheritance, and a part of that inheritance is eternal life. 1 Corinthians 2.9, listen to this. But as it is written, 
what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Let that sink in. Listen to the verse again. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. It is as we maintain a vision and a view to the world to come that we are encouraged all the more to walk faithfully with Christ. Just think about this. And Paul says the same thing. If this is all we have, if this is it, why bother with Christ? What does Paul say? If this is it, let's eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And that's the end of it. But that's not the end of it. And that's not the gospel. And that's Paul's point there. That we have a world to come. And it is more glorious than anything we can imagine or have had here. The sonship implies affection, fellowship, dignity, and love. God's love for us. Which he has for us. A great inheritance that is to come. Have you ever quit something because it proved to be more than you thought? People have become Christians or professed faith. And it didn't work out like they thought it was going to work out. They thought they were going to be happy all the time. They thought they were going to be walking on the red carpet of ease. doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Christ says that we will have trouble because we follow him. I'm encouraging you here is to think about this, that we continue on, even in when we don't feel like it, even when we do not want to, in obedience to Christ, because Christ has for us and prepared for us a place that where he is, we may be also, we read in the scriptures. Let your eyes go to what is waiting for you in glory and let that encourage you to be faithful, and to bear fruit daily for Christ. Let's pray.